So glad that you're here this morning um, at our uh, new 10 a.m. service time, and uh, it's just awesome to be together. We've uh, added more seats over the last uh, year or so, and we've got, we've got the space for it now as we've added classrooms, and so we can um, have service together, and uh, so we're excited about that. This morning, we're in a series called Live Life Outward. What does it mean to be outward? What does it mean to be a part of Outward Church and really ultimately to be a Christian? Um, but what does that look like in our everyday life and, and how, should that, uh, how should that play out in how we live? How should that play out in, in who we are as individuals? We've been in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. If you want to turn there with me, that would be awesome. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says this. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now we we covered this last week, the outward motivation, the motivation behind doing what God wants us to do, the motivation behind that. And ultimately, what these three verses tell us is this, that being comes before doing. Being what God has called you to be, being, becoming who God has called you to be, uh, comes before doing for God. And what it says right here is that God is the worker. He is the one, for we are God's workmanship. We said last week that that word workmanship, the original word, is where we get our word for poem. And it's essentially saying this, that God is an artist, that God is the poet. And he's the one that's speaking things into being. And he's the one that's created us. And he's the one who's doing anything good in our life. He's the one that's causing us to be in order for us to be able to do. Now, let me tell you how you can get this really messed up. You can say, I'm, I'm going to try really hard to do so that I can be with God. I'm going to try really hard to do this certain standard of things, whatever that is. I'm going to recycle every day, or I'm, I'm going to help old ladies across the street, or I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church all the time, and then ultimately I'm, I'm, I'm going to be with God if I do those things. But that's to get things backwards. That's to completely miss the gospel. That's to completely miss everything. And what it causes is this. It causes a major issue in our life. If you look at this verse or these verses, there's so much that is packed in here where it says, it is the gift of God. That God is a great gift giver. And he is the greatest gift giver that ever has been. He is the one who is giving us everything. He's given you life and breath in this earth and all of the skills and talents that you have, everything that you think that you've done with your own hands, where did you get that ability? It wasn't because you were just smarter than everybody else, or you just had something else better, or you just tried a little bit harder, but it's God-given talent, it's God-given ability, it's God-given air 
that you breathe. It is the gift of God. And ultimately, your salvation is rooted in the gift of God. But if you miss that little word, it is the gift of God, you can totally get this thing backwards and your life can be on a wrong track with who God is. And I want to tell you that there's many of us in this room, including myself at times, always get this wrong. Because here's the thing, the default mode of my heart what I'm always doing is I'm always thinking that if I just do a little bit more, I'm going to earn the favor of God, and then he is going to do nice things for me, and then therefore, life will go better for me. What I, what I can say about my life is this. There's been times in my life when I've thought, you know, things have not been going well for me, and so I must not be living right. I'm sorry, I'm spitting all over the place. My bad. I'll, I'll wear a, uh, whatever, uh, dust mask here soon, but... I uh, have had this same problem in my life where I say, I think that just because things have gone wrong, that somehow I've injured God somehow, and so God's getting me back. Did you know that those things are rooted in not understanding that one word? It is the gift of God. He is the one who gives this great gift to us. And what happens is this, is that my... My Christian life gets totally maligned. My Christian life gets, gets totally messed up, and I end up in a place where I think that it's about me and about what I do. But here's the thing that God wants you to understand. God wants you to understand something. That if it is a result of your works, if your salvation is somehow rooted in what you have done, then it's not real. It's not real. Because this gospel, this reality from Scripture, this Bible, not just my Bible, but the, the original language, where we get our Scriptures from, what this says is that you cannot work for it. And yet, we oftentimes do or think that we have not worked hard enough. Now, here's the problem that that creates. Paul says here, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Not a result of works so that no one, so that nobody, so that none of us can somehow say, ha-ha, look at what I've done. Did you know that when people are uh, legalistic Christians, when people act like they've got all their stuff together and like no one else does, when people publicly criticize people who are in sinful lifestyles or something, oftentimes that comes from this. It comes from this idea that somehow they think that they have it all together. They think that somehow they earn their salvation and that everybody else is trash somehow. They think that somehow they have this worked out and that no one else does. And you know what this creates? It creates boasting. It's why Christians get accused of arrogance and pride. It's why Christians are oftentimes looked down upon because they've come into the public square and they've boasted 
And here's the problem, that the people who are boasting oftentimes never got the gospel to begin with. Their religion, their so-called salvation is rooted in themselves and therefore it is not real. They are not Christians. They're not acting like Christians because they're boasting. Because a Christian is somebody who says, it's a gift from God. It is not from anything that I've done. It is all of him and it is none of me. And therefore, what this creates is it creates something new. It creates something fresh. It creates a new person. It creates new life. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 15. It says... For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You know what gets me about that verse right there, verse 15? Is that, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Living for ourselves. The default mode of my heart is to live for me. It's to say, I've put my life together. I've made everything good in my life, and it's about me. I created this stuff. It's rooted in, in self-assurance. It's rooted in pride, and it ultimately leads to boasting. See, here's the thing that God cannot have. God is all about his own glory. God is ultimately about him getting all of the praise for everything in life, everything in your life. But when we come and we say, well, it's really all about me, God doesn't honor that. God doesn't honor you in and of yourself producing your own stuff. God honors himself through you. But too often time, we are all about ourselves. We're all about our own thing. We're all about our own desires. We're all about everything around us. Think about your life. Think about that everything that you do, much of what we do is self-centered. Much of what we do is based in trying to become more comfortable. Much of what we do is based in serving me, serving me, serving me. And many people would say, yes, so what? What's the problem with that? Well, here's the problem with that is that ultimately always trying to serve yourself or even trying to make yourself feel good by serving others, it's still self-serving. Always trying to serve yourself ultimately leads to no happiness. It ultimately leads to serving something that God uh, made himself. We're serving ourselves or we're serving other people. And instead of serving the one true God, what ultimately ends up happening is that we're just serving ourselves. And it ends up being a source and a point of boasting in our lives. Many of us miss this because you may have been in the church for many years. You miss this, these verses here. You miss this idea of the gift of God. We miss the idea that, that God is the one who is the great gift giver. And we end up being self-focused and self-centered. Until what we have is this, we have churches that are inwardly focused. 
Now, I was an arrogant jerk when I planted this church. And I started this church, and God used my insecurities, and God used my, um, my, even my own self-centeredness for his own glory, ultimately. But I can tell you this. I walked into planting a church, starting a church, saying, no one else has got this right. I'm going to go start the church that has it right, and we're going to be outward. The rest of all y'all are inward, bro right that's what my arrogance said and that was that was me being a jerk here's what I know now there's lots of great churches in our town that do things a lot better than we do <laughs> and so what we know is this that we can learn from them but here's what I do know is that there is definitely an outward pulse when you look at the scriptures when you look at this idea of no longer living for yourself, when you look at this idea of it is not about us, it's not about our works, for we are his workmanship, we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. When I first came to this realization of what that looks like, it, it went from kind of here, it's just me and my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just me and him, and we're getting along, and this and that. And, but what I realized was this, is that no, wait a second, God has a purpose for me. Being, yes, we've got to be a Christian. God is the one who works that. But being must lead to doing. Being must lead to doing. If, if, if you're not somebody who's gotten the fact that it's a gift of God, then what happens is this. It never leads to truly serving him. It never really leads to truly serving him because of this. You have not gotten a hold of the generosity of God. You haven't understood it. You haven't realized it. God is a great gift giver. He's given us the greatest gift of all through Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of things. How do we go about living this outward life, living life outwardly? How does this happen? I know of no other way but to say this. In my own personal life, what I've seen is this, is that the areas that I've needed to grow in the most have to do with being a generous person. Now, before all of you go, oh, it's all rooted in my wallet. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, not just there. Okay, I'm a preacher. Come on. Um generosity let, let me ask you this how generous are you with forgiveness how generous are you with your life and with your time H how generous are you with the things that you have with the way that you serve how, how is could you say, and could we say about you, that there's generosity that just exudes from you? Because here's the thing, is that when, when we realize that the gift of God has come to us, when we realize that being comes before doing, and if we, and if we are really with him, that we're going to do, and we understand that I'm no longer living for myself, then what happens is this, is that God is a great gift giver, and then we become great gift givers to other people in several ways. Generous with grace. 
how gracious are you? Let's just start with the top. Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10 is about grace. For by grace you've been saved. It begins with the grace of God. God has, has grace on you. And what we said last week was this. It's, it's like the kiss of life for somebody who is spiritually dead. The grace of God comes and awakens you and he gives you great grace. You and I, we're sinners way before we even, uh, we even understand it, way before we're even apologetic. And yet God shows his grace to us even while we're still sinners. And so what we can say is this, is that God has saved us in order to help us give generous grace to those around us. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 8 through 42 with me, where it says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let me stop right there for a second. Um, uh, I like to beat up on both political parties. I oftentimes don't even like to mention it, but I just want to say this. For those of us that are hard right-wingers, I'm, I'm, I'm not including myself necessarily in that, but for those of us in here that are hard right-wingers, because Christians are Republicans, right? Uh, for those of us who are into the, the Tea Party and things like that, for those of us that like to commingle the scriptures with our political stance, we oftentimes get behind this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We, we, we're, we're behind that. Yeah, justice, justice, justice. We're all about justice, but we miss something, and we even add to it a little bit. What's it say here? You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Don't resist the person who's, who's not a Christian, who doesn't think like you, who perhaps even hates you. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Do you know what that says there? A tunic is like an undergarment. If they take your shorts, give them your shirt. I mean, the, Jesus is pretty serious. And we look at this sometimes. We go, oh, I'm just not sure that totally applies. Jesus says, if someone wants to take your tunic, give them your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. That's a hard one for me. I see people panhandling and things like that. Because I, I, I get self-righteous and I say, I've worked hard. I've done, I've done all of this thing. Why can't that person? Accusing them of all kinds of things. What this says here is this, is that generous grace means this, that it's, it's not just that I'm going to forgive you for having slapped me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in this situation and even almost invite more. It, if you want to take something from me, here, take a little bit more. If you want to take advantage of me, Jesus has been gracious with me. God has been so gracious with me, and so I want to give back more. I want to give everything. I want to give back. Do we have generous grace? Are you gracious to a degree that you would say you've been generous with your grace? In your relationships, 
at home. Somebody's mistreated you. Do you, do you even step beyond, over the line, and say this, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go out of my way. They, they, I don't feel like they deserve forgiveness. But here's the problem. I didn't deserve forgiveness when Jesus forgave me. And so I've got to extend forgiveness in your work when you're mistreated by uh, your boss or an employee. How are you extending more grace to them? How are you extending that to them? Because Jesus is gracious. He is the gift of God. And he's been given to us. Generous grace. Secondly, generous humility. Generous humility. Listen, uh, pride and self-righteousness. This idea that somehow uh, I'm better than you. This idea that I, I'm going to disagree with you on your political stance, your, your sexual preferences, your, all of these things, and somehow I'm going to come in with my head held high, putting you down. But here's the thing. That's not who Jesus is. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus does for you every single time. Jesus comes in with incredible humility. Philippians 2, I mean, you could read the entire thing. Um, and, I mean, it, it's a fantastic passage. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I don't think I'll read the whole thing. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant. Walk around in humility. Say, I, I don't have a leg to stand on before God without Jesus, and neither does anybody else, so I have no room to be prideful. I have no room to be arrogant about what I think I have going right in my life. The truth is, without Jesus, I'm just as alienated from God as anybody. As the worst sinner you can imagine, I'm just as alienated from God. Third, generous boldness. It says in 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 9, it says... For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. There's a generosity that's got to come through our life, which is this, a generous boldness. When you realize that you have the gift of God, that it's real, that God is real, that he sends Jesus to the cross for you, he pays for the sins that you hadn't even been sorry for yet, he goes to the cross, he dies for you, he's resurrected for you. What happens is this, is that there comes up 
from within you a desire to proclaim that to the nations, to people. There is a desire that comes up that says this, I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to tell them about what he's done for me. I want them to know what happens is this, is that I'm generous with boldness. My boldness is, is not just in me being a jerk and, and shouting things to our city or to our culture about how they've offended God, but shouting about how God has saved people for his own self, for his own glory through Jesus Christ and that it's available through him. Do you have generous boldness for Jesus Christ because in our churches today, we, we try to get away with an excuse. And I've done this too, so I can say this. You know what? I'm not really all that about, you know, uh, you know just talking about my faith. I, I prefer to just live it out. You know, I'm not really all, uh, all about evangelizing because I think there's people who are gifted in that. I'm not really all about any of these things, that really talking about these things. I don't really know a whole lot. I don't, I, don't I don't know too much, and so I, I need to have somebody else do this for me. God has given us not a spirit of timidity, but of power. He's given you a spirit of power. And if you see the gospel, and if, you've no if you know what Jesus has done for you, then you know this, that God's called you to be bold. Are you and I bold? Fourth, generous love. Generous love. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Do you see what that passage is saying? I'm just going to be nice to the people who are nice to me. I'm going to be really generous with people who have been generous with me. I'm, 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 I'm only going to do that. Those other people, those people who disagree with me politically, religiously, even theologically, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, they're out of my mind. I'm not going to show them generosity. I'm not going to show them love. And here's the, the greatest problem with that. Did you, did you see this in the middle here? For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust do you realize that God is gracious right this instant to the foulest sinner to the horrific terrorists in Iraq who are killing Christians and all over the world God 
is still gracious, yes, even on the person who's committing horrific sins. His sun shines on them. His rain falls on them. Do you understand this? That when you walk outside, you're experiencing the blessing of God. And God shows blessing on you, but he also shows blessing on people who hate him, hate the people who stand for him, hate everything about him. And and Jesus says this. He's saying, if I am gracious to people who hate me, then I am asking you to be gracious to people who hate you. I'm asking you to be loving towards them. Listen here. The love of God comes through a loving person. The love of God only comes through a loving person. And a loving person doesn't just become loving because they go, I really want to love right now. A loving person doesn't just become loving because they really, really try. A loving person becomes loving because they've experienced the generous love of God. And they say, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it on any level. Christians here this morning, you do not deserve the generous love of God. You don't deserve it. But he graciously gives it to you. It's overflowing on you. And when you've experienced the gracious love of God, what happens is this, is that you become a loving person because you say, I've never deserved what I, what I have, and so I just want to give back. It's the most foolish thing in the world to say, I've received, and you know what? I'm just going to keep that. It's just pure selfishness. Generous love, and then generous passion. Generous passion. Romans 12, 11, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Do not be lazy in how you're passionate about God. Don't be lazy about how you show passion to God. God wants you to be passionate. Do you know what I I can't stand? When my heart feels dead. When my heart feels, frankly, slothful. I recently received permission from the executive elders to take a little bit of time. My wife and I are, are moving to a new home. I needed to do a couple things in order to make that happen. I asked them for some, some time in that. So I've been working uh, uh, every day a different job uh, for the last couple of weeks. I am from the construction world, and so I've been doing some uh, dry rot repair and things like that, and it's actually been really exhilarating in some ways. But in other ways, I go to, I go to work, and I'm working all day, every day, and then what happens is this, is that you know, at some point or another, like, I need to be thinking about God. If nothing else, like, I need to preach on Sunday, right? Uh, But in addition to that, like, just for my own soul, like, I need to have time with God. And so I'm finding myself, like all of us do, in this place where I feel, 
like I'm not connecting with God. But God is saying this to us, like he has been passionate about us. He's been incredibly passionate about us and loving towards us. And he loves us so much and he thinks about us and he wants relationship with us. Paul says in, in Romans, he says, don't be lazy about being passionate about God. The root of laziness about passion for God is not thinking about how God has been passionate about you. Generous passion. And yes, you knew it was coming. Generous with your finances. And here's why. Here's why. Number one, Outward Church does not need your money. Outward Church does not need your money. God will provide for Outward Church. But I want to tell you, I'm here as a pastor to tell you this, that if God does not have a hold of your wallet in some form or fashion, if God does not somehow have a hold of your wallet, it's questionable whether he, ha he has a hold of your heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what this means is this, is that your heart oftentimes follows your wallet. My heart is sinful. My heart longs for evil in many ways because I'm still human. And my Christian life is about pushing those things back. And my heart says this, I earned it. I, I want to keep it. I want to hang on to it. I don't want to be generous with it. I don't want to serve other people with it. I don't want to give to what God's doing at the church. I don't want to... Uh, whatever finances have got to be a part of the equation in fact the apostle paul says this in second corinthians 8 verse 7 but as you excel in everything in faith in speech in knowledge in all earnestness and in our love for you see that you excel in this act of grace also paul says you, you can try everything. I, I want you to grow in every area. He's talking about giving right here. And he says this, make sure that you're growing in this area as well. Make sure that you're growing in this. And then he, he gives great impetus for this. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Get this. If you're not generous with your finances, with God, with other people, here's what you don't get. That Jesus was rich. He had every right to the throne. He had, he had everything. And yet he became poor for your sake. Do you understand this? that the gospel isn't just about you getting saved. It is that, but it's also about saving you from believing that your money will save you. When you think that your money will save you, when you think that your money is somehow the thing that's causing you to get to, to, to further yourself in life, when you think that somehow money is the root of your happiness, and here's how you can tell. Your greatest joy and your greatest sadness, when they're rooted in your finances, 
or when you're depressed or when you're, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Here's the thing. Money is your God. You say, I don't care about that stuff. I don't really care about that, that kind of uh, uh, God talk or whatever. But here's the thing. Money is your God. You have a God. You have a religion. You think you don't, but you have a religion. You and I have, have another religion. We have another God when our hope is rooted in our finances. And Paul says this. He says that when you don't understand, when you don't see this, when you don't see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, you don't understand the gift that he has given you. And ultimately, it leads to boasting. It leads to self-centeredness. It leads to living for yourself. And the only place that that leads is misery and alienation from God. Are you somebody who's generous with your life, generous with your stuff, generous with grace, with passion, boldness, love. See, being comes before doing. Understanding that the gift of God has come. The gift of God comes. And he is this incredible artist. He's this incredible poet who's writing a masterpiece. And he, he's writing one in your name, in essence. He's writing this about you. And he's creating something incredible. But if you don't get the gospel, the real gospel, the gift of God, you won't do. You won't do. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning I want to pray for those of us who call ourselves Christians. And Lord, I want to pray for those of us that find ourselves in a place where we aren't really generous with the things that you've already given us. God, I want to, I want to pray for those of us that, that have um, come right back at the people around us with hateful comments or critical comments or arrogant attitudes or prideful attitudes with opinions about politics and things like that. And Lord, I, I, I just want to ask you that you would create people that truly get your gospel and understand this, that there is no room for pride or arrogance. There is no room whatsoever for a prideful attitude. There's no room for that. But Lord, I also want to pray for those that are here this morning and have never given their life to you. God, for those people that have held out and held out and held out. And perhaps they're even in this place where they're saying, I just want to do a little bit better I just want to be a little bit better. I want to do some stuff for God so that I feel like I'm, I'm in with God. And God, my prayer is that they would understand that that is not the way to get in with you. 
In fact, that's a way to be further alienated from you. And so, Lord, this morning we pray for a true understanding of the gospel that says this, I can do nothing. I can be nothing without God, the great poet, the great artist, the great worker, without him doing something in me first. And so, Lord, we pray for that. It's only by your grace through faith that we can trust you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would trust you this morning. I pray that we would look to you. I pray that we, we would look to you as our Lord and Savior alone. In your name we pray. Amen.